0: Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Kanye West. And the award goes to Kanye West. And Kanye would like to thank Kanye West. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by The Hard Deck. Grab a drink and be nice to the bartender at The Hard Deck. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're filmmakers. We, we make things. Um, and we like to use this opportunity to analyze, discuss films from that standpoint of what we know and understand about the filmmaking process to illuminate some of those things uh to you the listener hopefully other creators i feel like everyone is a creator in their own right um even if it doesn't translate from what we do in a direct way i think some of the ways that we just think about film uh could inform and help other people in the way they think about whatever it is that they're they're creating because it's a a very holistic approach i feel like is what we usually aim for even if sometimes it you know whatever gets gets a little little down in the uh, details <laughs> yeah
1: yeah agreed agreed I think that, um, that that's a good point I haven't actually thought about that but like you know we talk about movies but really we're talking about stories or we're talking about just creating something specifically you know when I think you know one of the things I like about what we do is that we don't just tear movies apart in fact we go out of our way to find you know, amazing things in films that we do not like. And I think that that says a lot, you know, because it's so easy to just tear a film or tear, tear something creative apart. And that's not our goal here. Our goal here is to find what decisions were made, why we think they were made, um, and to get down to the human element of it. And I think because we get down to the human element of it, that's how it's relatable to other mediums, whether that's music or that's, you know, entrepreneurship or you know that's whatever whatever might be your thing. So yeah, yeah, great point.
0: Yeah, that's a. I like the way you, you phrase that the human element because at the end of the day, we're we're talking about the psychology of people, yeah, and how we relate to this and that, um, and just because you know we're we're relating it to storytelling, uh, which is universal. I feel like every industry uses storytelling in some form or fashion, even if sometimes a little more abstract, right? programming even you might think this is the most ones and zeros things of all time but at the end of the day you're programming for people and if you're a programmer not factoring in how people interact with your program um that's a psychological thing right you're going to fail um the best programs are factoring in actual real world use cases um yeah so it's it's all a part of the great human experiment if you Agreed. want to call it that yeah, yeah. Sure. What experiment are we looking at today, man? Yeah, so we are reviewing the
1: new Top Gun Maverick, uh, which came, just just came out. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, please pause this episode and go. go I would recommend watching both of them, uh, the first one and this one. You will, you will get more out of Maverick if you watch uh, Top Gun 1, which is so weird to say, Top Gun 1, uh, if, you, if you go watch that first, so,
0: uh, because we're going to spoil a lot of stuff. For sure. We'll look at a a handful of things. Um, We'll look at some of the story and writing, ask the question, do great artists steal? Um, And who is Mary Sue? As well as some of the cinematography briefly, like some of the natural, the way they use natural lighting for continuity and other such stuff and things and stuff.
1: And a quick synopsis, Uh, after more than 30 years of service as one of the Navy's top aviators, Pete Mitchell is where he belongs, pushing the envelope. ...as a courageous test pilot and dodging the advance the advancement in rank that would ground him. It's directed by Joseph Kaczynski, screenplay by Aaron Kruger, uh, Eric Warren Singer, and Christopher McQuarrie, and cinematography by Claudio Miranda, starring Tom Cruise as Maverick, Val Kilmer as Iceman, uh, Jennifer Conley as Penny, Miles Teller as Rooster, John Hamm as Admiral Simpson, Monica Barbaro as Phoenix, and Glenn Powell as Hangman.
0: What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. Then we're off. Here we go. In three. Two. One. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen not even him. You think up there you're dead? Believe me.
1: My dad believed in you. I'm not going to make the same mistake. Someone's not coming back from this.
0: Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. Smoke in the air! Smoke in the we air! You'll never forgive yourself. No turning back now. Come on,
1: oh, haven't any fun yet.
0: So, can we watch it again? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Todd, on a scale of 1 to 10, how disappointing was this movie? <laughs> uh,
1: zero. <laughs> I I haven't had an experience in a theater like that in a very long time, and maybe even ever, if I'm going to be completely honest. And, I mean, I I almost don't even know how to put it into words, how it felt, and it's, and, and that's why at the beginning of this, when I said you should watch the first one before watching this one, I, I love that we did that. I love that we did Top Gun one. And then two weeks later, I'm in the theater watching Maverick. Like it was, it was like everything, all of the things that they needed to tie up, they tied up and all of the, and they have like Easter eggs everywhere. And like, they you know, just harken back to this little thing and that little thing. And it, it was, it was just wonderful. And I'm sitting there watching it and I'm thinking, I'm, um, this might be, a okay, for this movie, the perfect script. I was just, the whole time I was thinking, I was thinking, I know what they're going to say. I know what they're going to do. And in times that did happen, but it was in those times I was like, I felt, I felt warm feelings hmm. when I would guess what they would say or do or whatever. I felt like actually like, oh, I'm glad that that happened. And there were other times where I thought I knew it was going to happen and it, and it didn't, you know, like why Rooster is really mad at, at Maverick is not just because of his dad. And I thought that's such an amazing wrinkle.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, he, he kept him out of the Navy because he wanted to take care of him. He wanted to be the dad that Rooster didn't, didn't have. And so, and that's really why he was mad at him. Stuff like that. Like it's all over the movie, all over the movie for me. And I mean, uh, just a, I thought the script was incredible. I thought the acting was absolutely perfect for what it needed to be. I thought that, that the inclusion of Iceman as he's dying is fantastic. And that Iceman is the one who went up in the ranks, right? Yeah. is They, they got all the characters spot on. Like the, um, Pete's character is exactly who he would be. You know, and I think that that has a lot to do with Tom Cruise, not just the writing. Like Mm -hmm. he he understand. That's one brilliant thing about Tom Cruise, man. And people can love him or hate him, but that guy loves cinema, and he loves his roles. Every role he does, we've talked about him at you know many times on this podcast. Every role he does is a thousand percent that, and it. it, Yes, it's because he does his own Mm -hmm. stunts. But it's also because it's, it's just because he loves it. And you can tell I'm sitting there, you know, the first thing I see in the theater is him sitting there saying, this is a labor of love. It took a lot of people before the movie even starts. I don't know if they did that at Alamo. Did they do that at Alamo where he like talks to the crowd mm-hmm. or a lot of people made this. and We made it for you. I almost started crying because I know what a labor of love this was. It started filming before the pandemic you know and they were they they had to pause a lot because the they had to learn how to fly fighter jets and stuff and like and but the whole cast was part of it they the the they were the ones that had the uh the cast had to like manage the their cameras in the fighter jets because they're in a jet in you know 5000 feet 10000 feet in the air you can't have a cinematographer there with you so oh make this adjustment oh you're a little out of focus here or something adjust this you know, they had to learn all that stuff and that takes time. It's not like you just, you just, you know, know how to do it. And the, it, yeah, anyway, I, I don't, I, I don't really know what all to say, which is so funny because I texted you right after I saw it. <laughs> it's like, have you seen this yet? Cause it's freaking, I really want to talk about it, but I think I just want to get into the conversation. I want to know what you thought. And like, you know, if, 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 like, just start talking to you about it and and what you think
0: I think you said it really well in terms of I haven't had an experience like this in a while in a theater, and that's because what haven't we seen? Yeah, we've seen worlds explode, and uh once you've seen like the destruction of the universe, uh is there really anything left to show us on on you know a movie theater screen, and it turns out, yeah, there is, like we haven't seen. Top Gun was great, but Maverick actually let us be in a cockpit uh, in a way that we haven't experienced uh, because we've been in cockpits before. Don't get me wrong. Like uh, they were filming whatever Dunkirk right in a plane. But there's a massive gap between a World War II plane and uh, an F-18, right? Like those are just worlds apart. And so seeing that and feeling it on a on a theater screen. Like, I am tempted to go catch this in IMAX um, just to see what that experience would be like uh, because it is so unique and it was refreshing. I will say I saw this twice the first time that, you know peeled my hair back. Uh, the second time I would say I got about 70% of that rush. Uh, and so there is a diluting effect. I might need to give it uh, a couple of weeks, you know, so I can yeah. uh, resensitize. <laughs> I mean, it literally came out on Thursday and you've seen it twice and this yeah. is Sunday.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Probably need a little buffer,
0: maybe a little buffer, but we've never seen or felt this before in a theater. Um, and this is certainly like the DOD's wet dream of let's put our, our coolest stuff on screen um, and drive up recruitment. Because uh, if you're, you know, 15 watching this, there's a high degree uh, uh, of chance that you're going to be like, I think I want to be in the Navy. I want to be a yes. fighter pilot. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, top gun did that. I've the number of, people that i've bumped into i met a guy uh when i was doing clinical research trials um you just meet all kinds of interesting people and he's like yeah i'm 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 joining i i'm going to be a pilot because i saw top gun like that's a real world effect that this has on people and yeah i mean right or wrong i don't really know or care to be honest but (laughs) (laughs) but i understand it i I, I i'll say that uh because you just never felt the way you feel when you're watching them do some of these things and you can tell they designed certain like the 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 big mission they designed around the idea that we want to invert and uh accelerate in order to and so they designed the mission around that visual right like at the end of the uh, the trailer you see Tom Cruise like invert uh and then he hits those whatever afterburners i don't know what the hell is going on in there sure. uh the big the big scary uh, jet engine stuff <laughs> uh, and, and and you see the intensity of it all and it's visually and uh, aesthetically you know from a like deep visceral reaction to it uh is just there you know and it it pushes you and you can you feel it you feel everything happening on screen and i mean the technical wizardry that uh, was required to execute all this is nothing short of magic uh, to me what they had something yeah. like six cameras uh you know installed in a lot of these jets um just so that they could capture everything that they're capturing now i know tom cruise is a a pilot where was like miles teller actually flying his jet or was he in like a combo uh, a two-seater and they were like faking it i that that part i'm not clear on i didn't look it up i'd I don't know if I was interested in, in ruining that for myself or not, but do you have any clear understanding of that or just assumptions like me? So I know
1: that they learned to fly. Yes. Okay. As for if they flew as much, mm. you know, and as detailed as Tom Cruise, I, do, I don't I do think so. I really don't. I, I think that and I could be wrong, but I do know that they learned to fly those jets they learned how to fly jets, so that alone it doesn't even matter, yeah, honestly, to yeah, me. Same, but every every shot you see of Maverick, like he's actually flying that, you know, and that's and that's that's totally fine. I'm fine with uh, with all that. I don't I don't think that they're gonna trust a thirty million dollar plane or ten million dollar plane um, with uh, Miles Teller. Right. Necessarily, or you know?
0: or to some other scale rate, you know, SAG actor, <laughs> yeah, exactly, uh, you know. So,
1: and a lot of those shots, you could kind of tell that, like, they were sitting in the back, mm-hmm. you know, because you couldn't see anything behind them, like there was like a wall behind them, essentially. And so, I think they, they were sitting, technically, sitting in the back of the plane, and they had an actual pilot in the front. But I do know that they learned how to so that it would be, it would feel more real, like you yeah. know, like they lo- learn how to bank and they learn how to sorry it's loud they learn how to, you know do the breathing when they hit 8 G's and stuff and and you can see it Yeah, you can see it on their faces when they hit those G's and their you know their their skin pulls back and, and they're breathe, doing that breathing that they have to do that is real that is all real and it, it makes it I don't think we're going to see a movie like this in a theater for a
0: very long time if not ever it does take a Tom Cruise on board to right. to pull this off, right? And and to your point, everything that you're saying is important because it's underscored by Tom Cruise coming up on screen before the movie. It's the, it's the new version of uh, this is based on a true story, right? Like it yeah. it makes audience take in what they're watching differently when you know hundred hey we filmed these in actual f-18s yeah and so you don't assume oh look at all this cg you're like oh no they're they're in actual effing planes yes um and that changes which changes everything it changes how
1: you experience the the turns when they're in the in the valley and they're turning and there's mountains on both sides and and everything or he does the inversion and then he hits the afterburners and and you can see that the air going over the wings all of a sudden and you can it You are literally there with them, as opposed to saying, "How did they do this in CGI?" Which nine times out of (laughs) ten you're always saying, and that's fine. That's totally fine, you know. But, but the other reason I say that I don't think we're going to see something like this maybe ever is because of where it came from, Mm -hmm. right? It came from a great movie 35 years ago, a great movie 35 years ago that that made a statement that hasn't really been made since when it comes to air combat and, and death, like goose's death is one of the most iconic deaths in all of cinema. So to have all, all of that and then have this movie 35, 30 years later, that is also, that is better in all the ways and not just better, you know, in air combat, not just better in, you know, in acting, but better in writing and in story, Hmm. the story I thought was amazingly strong. So, at the at, in the original, you know, we won't talk about it too much because I think you should go watch the episode no, listen to I, the episode. I think it's
0: totally fine. No, we I, can do it. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, in the original, the the the, the dogfight at the end is is good. It's good, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I think that you know dogfighting has doesn't really happen as often, you know. So it's like it's like entertaining, right? And it's amazing how they did that in 1986. And we talked about that. But this is on a whole nother level. And the mission itself is on a whole nother level. Now they absolutely stole it from Star Wars. I Yes.
0: Yes. That's my do great artists steal comment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. We're getting into that. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I, you know, I, I saw that, but I was in, while I was thinking about this film, I was thinking, what are they going to do? Like, how, how are they going to make this a, a thing that is, that is one, believable, two, unbelievable, and three, not like, not like very on the nose and they did it in a brilliant way. We didn't identify who the enemy is. No idea who it is. Could be Russia. Could be,
0: you know, could Iran. be Iran. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It could be who, China, who North Korea. Yeah.
1: In uranium, right. Or whatever. Yeah. So we don't identify with that. We make it. So it's an almost impossible thing by putting it in a, in a Valley between two mountains. So it's like almost impossible to do. Um, Because you also have to fly 100 feet off the ground going Mach 87, (laughs) you know, Um, uh, and then you have to go up and down and then back up again and without passing out. Right. And then you have to dogfight. They made it as big as you possibly could. And then on top of that, they make the the fighter jets against them way stronger, better, faster. Um, And they show you that the the shot the most amazing shot in the whole thing for me was when that first jet that I think Tom Cruise is fighting I can't even remember flies flies past or he tries to I I don't even know flies past him and then just stops in midair does this whole barrel turn and then just like goes down like does this and they hang on it
0: they show you. Yeah, that's, it's it's like a progressed version of Tom Cruise's hit the break, or uh, Mavericks hit the brakes and let them fly right by. It's like ten yes. times more effective because yeah, he pulls up and just kind of flat spins behind them. Yes, uh, and that's then, it. Yeah, lands and he's just right on target already. But um, the brilliant thing
1: about that is that they don't cut away. Yeah, they stay on it because you know you're dogfighting. You're gonna have like you know quarter second shot here, quarter second shot there at best. You know like here's twelve frames here, yeah. uh, but this. They stay on it for a good five seconds. They give you, they let you see without cutting what this thing can do. And they show you Maverick's reaction to it. Like, holy shit. So now it puts this whole thing into perspective of like Maverick is the best of all time. And he is amazed at what that can do. Oh shit. Now we're getting into it. And that's like, I think it's
0: towards the beginning of the dogfight, right? Yes, uh, because, yeah, I think I think that's important to point out all that is because it's getting back to the point, And then to finish, probably your thought here, like they remove him from his nice F-18 and put him back in an F-14, which is relevant, not just for the the throwback vibes. But it's important because I think the thesis that they're trying to make throughout this film is that it's not the plane, it's the pilot. And the more you can strip away the plane, the more you can prove that thesis, right? And it's, it's a comment that we, we open with, right? He's, he's flying this big, bad, fancy new scramjet, but he's being told you're, you're going to be replaced, you know, um, by unmanned aerial, you know, vehicles, drones, basically. And he's now we're, we're, we're on a, a mission, you know, so to speak, to prove that that's not where the future of aerial combat lies. Um, it's in the instinct of a really talented Piter, uh, pilot Piter. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, (laughs) I cracked myself and doubled down. Leave that in. in. (laughs) We'll do. Uh, And putting rooster in the back seat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Come on. I know that was one of the things I really loved is that they didn't resolve the, I think you made a point. I, I hadn't, It didn't occur to me um, that the wrinkle that they threw with the rooster Maverick storyline wasn't that he killed his dad, right? Or that his dad died under Maverick's piloting, which is still used. He still throws it in his face, right? That's a nice punch um, and you got to use it. Uh, But that isn't really the issue at hand. It is something more layered and and textured which is a really great idea uh one being his career and how maverick stood in the way of his career um and i love the extra layer that maverick wasn't doing it to be a you know a jerk he was he was doing it at at the request of his own mother great whatever uh uh, a lot of nice things to have floating around in the air right uh and you touch on it and you don't touch on it again and now you're sitting there uh, wondering Is he going to let them know? Uh, Because if he doesn't tell them, how does Rooster get over it? How does Rooster move beyond what he's upset about without knowing the actual truth? He never got to hear the actual truth, which is the right move. If I'm Maverick, I don't tell him. Like that's I I wear that one. But I love that they didn't resolve their issues until the third act, Uh, whereas other scripts would have resolved it in act two so that they could threaten it in act three, right? Oh, we're buddy, buddy again. Um, but now, you know, our, our relationship is in, in jeopardy because of whatever, right. Whether it's life and death or maybe, um, a new secret comes out, right. They, they find another way to, uh, jeopardize that. And instead they held it back, uh, which I thought was great to build their tension. And we don't know where they stand with each other. And you start to feel like maybe they're working through it, on the uh, the on the deck of the the whatever ship um battleship yeah. um and, but they don't there's he's just like we'll talk about it you know when you get back yeah and so there's something there enough to let you feel rooster would do the things that he's about to do cuz you need that too you can't just have him Although it, that would be an interesting way to take it too, he's still mad until he bails out Maverick, right? This is a, a middle finger to you. That could be an interesting path to take as well. But it wasn't. I thought much more interesting way to build on their relationship uh, is to start to level things off, but don't resolve it until you know we we get beyond, right? The the yeah. mission is where we kick off the third act. Uh, in my opinion, I, I guess you can splice it a lot of different ways. Um, okay. But. I love that. A lot of great tension throughout the film. Um, that's the one, re- that's the only relationship we care about in this film. Uh, at least me, uh, walking in and walking out throughout this entire movie. And I'll get to Penny. Um, uh, but this is the only relationship I actually cared about in the entire film. And I, I love that there's no, neither one of them have a mea culpa, right? They both just learn to live. It's just two men learning to live with each other's flaws. And, and that's that. That's family. Yeah.
1: I had um, a couple of things before you get into your notes, really, that I just wanted to say that I, reasons I loved it. Yeah, I'll, please, I'll go quick. No. I'll go quick. Take first, your time. Um, <laughs> I love that there's no actual love scene because mm-hmm. I hated that about the first one. I didn't like it. I thought it was corny as hell. It was very 80s. It's yeah, just it like, God, get, get me, I don't care about this. Get me out of here, whatever. Um, and so when, you know, they were going to, you know, you know get into it. We just cut and hmm. they're laying in bed and they're talking. That's what I want because I want the story to progress forward. That does not progress the story forward, me watching them, whatever. And he's like 70,000 years old. So I don't even, I don't want to see that. I, I, I mean, do
0: show me the humping. I do. Let's get I, back to the humping, okay, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh,
1: I guess the point was, is, yeah. uh, you know, they didn't waste any time. I didn't feel like any of the time was wasted. And I, I loved that when they cut to them laying in bed, I was like, thank you. Oh, my God. Thank you. You know, uh, the second thing is that I loved the whole time, the, the whole time he was teaching. I didn't expect him to fly. I thought that this is the story. The story is he's going to teach. And then some, one of his ki- one of his students is they're going to go into this battle. And one of his students is going to die. And he's going to blame himself or whatever. It's going to be tragic. Um, but he, I didn't expect him to fly. I really just I just didn't. I was taking the story on its face And I thought that that he was just going to be the teacher and that's where he's at, at least for the final because he did a ton of flying in the training. And I thought Mm -hmm. that's what we're getting. Right. But he's passing the torch to a new group of fighter pilots. Right. Um, And that was the story because that's the typical story that you get.
0: And that was largely the first one. Right. Viper. But Viper was flying with them. Right. Um, But he was passing the torch at no point. Do you expect him to strap it on and uh, start firing missiles? Exactly. And so maybe that's why I I've thought that because of, because of the first one. So when he, when
1: he, the commander said, said, I'm, I'm in. And as a harken back to the first one, I'm in such a tough place because in one hand I got to, whatever, they, they do the same thing in the first one. Um, and when he said, or oh, I've got to make you squad leader, Tom Cruise's reaction to like be so like, excited. He can't help but speak was amazing. Got, it was the, exactly how I felt. I felt like, yes, give it to him. I want to see him fly this mission, you know. And he did that for me on screen. He jumped out and like had a reaction, and then the you know the guy was like next to him was like, okay, just chill out, you know, whatever. Uh, so I loved that he actually got to fly, even though I didn't expect it. Uh, and maybe you saw that coming, obviously. And I think probably ninety percent of people saw it coming, <laughs> but I just didn't. I just and I loved that. I also thought that the the football on the beach. Scene, you know, because I I also hated the volleyball scene in the first one because it didn't take the story anywhere. It was yeah. stupid. These two, these two, these guys don't like each other. so They're playing volleyball, but nothing is resolved. Right? yeah This is pointless, just to see them with their shirts off. But this actually had a meaning. It was team building. They were playing offense and defense at the same time. So there was it was different. It wasn't like they were just like playing against each other in a normal way. And. You know, Miles actually helps him up when Rooster helps up helps Pete up when he falls and whatever. There was a meaning behind it. And I actually liked that, you know? And it didn't last for a super long time. It was it, it I liked it. Yeah. And the last thing they'll say is just there was also this air of of Pete's character to find a way, hmm. no matter what. And we start with him finding a way for his pe peop- to keep his people on that project of that plane. Oh, he's coming to shut us down. We're going to go for Mach 10 there. We only need Mach nine, but we're going to do Mach 10 because we really got to prove it. And we got to go right now. And it just opened up with that. And what an incredible way to open this movie and the, the wide shot of this plane the, uh, where you can see the curvature of the earth and the, and the plane going Mach 10 uh, and the trail it's leaving and, and how it turns it was just fantastic. So he found a way at the beginning and it, was, it wasn't it was just for himself. Yes, mm-hmm. the actual 10.1, 10.2, Mach 10.3, and then he like blows the plane up. That was for him. But everything up until Mach 10 was for everyone else. And is very much the same way when he stole the plane at the end to prove that the mission was possible. It wasn't because he wanted to go. He knew he wasn't going to go. Like in his brain, it wasn't happening for him. But what he wanted to do was to prove to, the, to his his trainees that this is possible. You can do this. Watch me do it. If you see, it's just like running a four minute m- mile. It was impossible until somebody did it, and now and then since then, dozens of people have done it. They, somebody does it every year. It's a, it was the same thing there. He's like, I'm not doing this for him. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for you. Watch this. And I know I'm going to get court martialed. I'm going to get you know like. This is the last time I'll be in an airplane. I know that. And he did it anyway. And he found a way. And that was after Penny said, you always find a way. You know, (laughs) he was like, he knew he was going to be grounded. And so anyway, I loved that too. That that like hella special in my heart.
0: (laughs) No, I love that scramjet sequence. What a great way to open the film. For one, it's just gorgeous, right? Like you said, they had these beautiful, nice, wide, artsy angles. Like some of them are just, uh, you know, I don't want to call it boilerplate, but you're just wide and in the air. You don't have to do a lot, but they, they did more than they needed to. And it works so well when they do these like Dutch angles, right? We kind of tilt into this Dutch angle where uh, we go lopsided to follow the, the, the plane as it's whipping by like just gorgeous and all these subdued natural tones, right? It's very, uh, sunrise golden hour kind of stuff, uh, which makes sense. It's the beginning of the film. Let's, let's, you know, stay in that kind of early morning visual aesthetic and it's just these night this nice gradient on the horizon clouds the the music writes magic vibes it almost feels like you're you're watching do the right stuff or or you know apollo you know testing stuff it's just it's so good Um, Hans on zimmer by the way
1: yeah that's right i I looked it up right after the film i was like who did this music it was hans (laughs) it was it was
0: him and someone else though right it was two they had two composers on it yeah well the the original composer from the Oh, they gave him credit okay yeah because they use his music that makes all over it so yeah Yeah. i was confused because i i read a lot of the credits in the opening uh, and i saw that and then and hans zimmer i was like oh whoa wait what's going on here Mm. um so that makes sense uh thank you yeah but i love how it ends that that sequence ends with him walking into the cafe and drink just what a great comedic punchline where it's not hammed. Like it would be really easy to to overplay that. And it's a fine line to walk, but it's just everyone's quiet. Everyone looks, he looks, he doesn't try to be funny. No one tries to be funny in the scene and that makes it funny. Um, but he drinks the water and he's while drinking the water, right? He's kind of looking at everyone, looking at him, sets it down. He asks a simple question because he's like, where am I? And you had the little boy, which is the best role. Uh, he's just, you can imagine what he's seeing is a spaceman, And so his natural reaction is just say, "Earth <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> I thought he was going to say, like,
1: 2022 yeah. or something, <laughs> but he says Earth, and it's great. You're right, it's great to give it to a kid because yeah. you know, in a typical 80s movie, it'd just be like a trucker, right? Or something, you yes. know, might say that, which is not nearly as entertaining and fun no. as like you know, a seven year old kid,
0: right? Because you buy into his reality, you wouldn't buy into a trucker's yes. reality, right. Um, right? And that's perfect. Um, but overall, I think that whole scramjet sequence is great because. You need to reestablish who Maverick is, which it, it does, right? He's that cocky guy who's uh, going to push the boundaries, break the rules, right? He wasn't supposed to go up, but he did it anyway. But it also doubles down. I love I love your point. It wasn't just for him, although you can certainly make that uh, leap that it's also for him. But it wasn't just. It was to save everyone else's job and to save the project and maybe even to save piters writ large. Fighters. yeah. Uh, Because pilots are being removed um, and he's saying, I need to save this in order to save other jobs uh, of my kind to save my own job um, and, and my people. But that sequence is also great because I think it feels different from the rest of the movie. So it's kind of a bonus because we we kind of forget it. Great point. As the movie wears on, yeah. um, you're in different jets, you're in different lighting scenarios, uh, so it doesn't really weigh us down on the runtime. Um, and I think that's one of those little tricky maneuvers uh, to make the movie feel a little shorter than it actually is. Uh, it's I I just I think it's really smart. The sky is dark. That's another. You're right. The lighting is totally different. The sky is
1: dark. It's like in at at dawn. Um, so the, it would, and then all the other times they're they're in planes or even just period, it's almost always daytime yeah. except for, you know, a few night scenes or whatever, but when they're in the planes, it's always during the day. So yeah. Yeah. It works day really time. well.
0: And I uh, talking about the, the opening also love that they use the exact same intro, right? Same title oh, sequence. Yeah. Yes. Same music. Same music and yeah. they 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 heard your cry man cuz yeah. much better transition cut <laughs> much better
1: i i was waiting for it too i'm so glad you called that out i was waiting for it and i was listening i was like oh okay that works yeah. that works how they cut to it yeah an actual so
0: then, like on the on the edit um yeah. nicely done uh going back to like more cinematography here like lots of it seems like in that opening sequence a lot of natural lighting and I think when you're outside, they largely tried to stay with using as much. Now, it's hard to tell because this is such a big project and you have a lot of talent people. Maybe it wasn't actually um, natural light and maybe it was just super diffused. I definitely know they used a ton of diffusion throughout the film, but I think they were trying to use as much natural lighting as possible in order to help keep continuity or consistency with the the limited setup that they had in the F 18s um, because they couldn't control anything in there. Like they had to largely guess at the exposure. And like you said, they have actors making focal adjustments. Uh, and so yeah. you, you, you want to not make a big contrast between what you're seeing there and what you're seeing in other parts of the film uh, that are similar. Now they certainly break that in other ways because like, For Penny, they have a ton of big softboxes. Whenever you see her uh, after that boating uh, sequence and she gets home, she walks inside and she closes the door and she leans back. That's a massive, big softbox that they have like right on her face. And it's beautiful. It's beauty lighting. They do the same thing with the nighttime beach scene when it's her and Maverick uh, on the beach talking about whatever the mission and and life and death or whatever. But my, my point with that all is that those, that's totally unmotivated. Like no, there's no logical place that that lighting is coming from. As opposed to the, the bar scene, when you have all those uh, pilots standing around the pool table, they're motivating that lighting. They have this a very similar lighting almost exactly to those other scenes, except they're motivating it through that pool table light. The light that dangles above the pool table is motivating all their lighting. Um, and so that's very motivative because you can see within the scene where that light comes from. Whereas like on the beach, uh, not really. I think the, the stretch that you can make is that the Christmas lighting is motivating. Nah, <laughs> like not really. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and there's certainly nothing in her house that makes me think there's this massive light, you know, two feet from her face. But it works. My point isn't that it stands out. My point is that it actually works really well. It's gorgeous. And I think it, it works because we want to see her in beautiful light. Um, and and it's just aesthetically pleasing. And so no part of you reacts by, oh, this is so Hollywood. Instead, you react by man. This is beautiful. <laughs> um, they 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 walk the line really well, choose their moments really well. And it, it it's gorgeous. It works like if you if you know when to pull those levers, uh, you'll you'll be better off for it, not worse. The other moving into more story and writing stuff. There is some. So we have a new mission. Great. Like, let's, before I get into the fun stuff, I want to just point out some of my uh, spotty things that I we might disagree on, I guess. But uh, to me, it's yeah. just spotty, kind of absurd. Um, like you mentioned that they don't point out where we're at. Like, who is this country? There is no country. They just say the region. They don't say what region, just the region that this is in. And to me, it's pretty funny because what they're really doing is trying to keep it inoffensive for the global audience right uh you don't want to point out china because that's a big audience now and you've already done russia but in to to their credit they really don't point out russia in the first film either it's kind of implied lightly very very lightly but you'd be forgiven for not knowing like growing up we never said yeah we're shooting down russians uh it was just You know, I'm Tom Cruise, and I'm 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 a fighter pilot. Like that was, it was never about the bad guy. It was always about our guys. And for that, I actually appreciate. uh, While I think it's kind of absurd in you know the modern era to to not say who or what we're fighting, I also do appreciate that you're not making it about the enemy. You're making it about your own guys. And with that. I do find it super absurd that there's some other country out there that has these better mystical fifth generation jets. No, <laughs> no, not on your life. Nobody. And to me, when I see this kind of stuff, when I see the, the wonky laser that, you know, keeps uh, messing up. I mean, maybe there's some reality to that, but to me, when I see, all- Oh there's there's better jets out there and we need our equipment is sometimes failing. To me it screams the DOD is begging for trillions more in R&D. <laughs> like, yeah, good that, point. That's all I see with that. Like you have an F35 project that's already cost somewhere between 400 billion and 1.7 trillion dollars. Like uh y'all are good. Y'all y'all could use less money. Um go to hell. But it's and so that's kind of absurd to me. But I do, and this this is something we've lightly already touched on, but I'd love to hear more of your thoughts about it, um, because they do rip this mission straight out of Star Wars. Like, it is nuts and bolts, almost a one-to-one ratio of the exact same mission. You double the ships, I guess, but that's that's about the extent of it, right? It's, it's the Death Star run. Um, the targeting system doesn't work, and he has to use the force. I mean, don't think, just do. There is no try. <laughs> Wait, what universe are we in? I, I, I forgot, uh, but yeah. it's it's directly ripping a lot of Star Wars stuff. And what's funny is I asked my roommate about that, and he's like, "Oh, I I didn't know that. I didn't I didn't recognize that. I should say." Um, and maybe your favorite quote is the the Bono uh, quote of uh, "Every artist is a thief." And so I'm asking you, do great artists steal? Um, like, I would rather Top Gun maverick steal that that story idea um and they 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 did a bunch of other stuff with it it wasn't just the trust your instincts use the force uh that is very one-to-one of star wars but they use it in other all these other ways right to prove the metal of the teacher and all these other things whatever but I would rather see Top Gun do that than like Star Wars recycle their own storylines. Um, that to me is is a much greater offense than someone else taking your storyline um, yeah. and inserting it. But how do you what's your what's your view on just I, for for lack of more couth, uh stealing <laughs> someone else's story storyline. Uh, talk to me, Goose. <laughs> <laughs> As,
1: I mean, OK, so the only thing really, OK, when they're when they're doing the mission and the point is to fly really low through the the valley, I'm not thinking Star Wars yet. Right. Hmm. When they go over the mountain and they got to shoot this one little spot, that's the Star Wars part. And then once I see that, that I'm thinking, oh, wait, and they are and they're flying through the valley. So then it, like I'm thinking it's so only then is the valley kind of trigger it. Right. The reason I'm okay with it in this regard is a, is a couple of reasons. First off, it makes sense why they have to fly in the valley, right? It's below radar. Obviously, the this if this country or this enemy has these advanced fighter jets, they're going to have the SAMs, they're going to have the surface to air missiles. Um, so you have to fly below radar so that you're undetected. So there's a there's purpose for it, and it's real world purpose, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just like a so. You have star wars which is which is futuristic and sci-fi and you know not real uh, and then you have a real world ap- application for a purpose for this right for for flying low and then also a real world application for having to hit a specific tiny target however it's they also made it harder in that you don't have to hit it you can't it's, you don't just hit it once you have to hit it twice. Mm-hmm. right so they make it a little bit harder and then they make it even harder because the 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 other thing you have to do is fly out you have to pull 10 g's to then pull directly up to get over the next mountain and then you also have a dogfight. right after that so i'm okay with it because a lot it's supposed to be more real world actual something that could happen right and that's that's the point and the fact that we know that they're in planes and we know they're pulling massive g's like in like in reality they're not in a you know in a simulator mm-hmm. um you know with cgi all around them makes it a different experience the whole thing yeah so when you're talking about stealing though I it's like a i didn't mind it in this case honestly mm-hmm. because of that i think like you said any other th- any other movie I probably would call it out and be like that's bullshit and whatever but because they went the extra mile and they made it much more difficult they made it real by putting them in real jets pulling real g's I'm okay with it in this scenario hmm. uh, I don't think that they necessarily stole the the meaning of Star Wars you know they stole an idea or they borrowed it maybe I'm not sure. In this case I don't mind it.
0: I would I'm just calling it steel because I feel like in order to make it a a homage uh, would require an extra layer of acknowledgement somewhere within the film. Oh, that's a great point. And I don't think they ever, they ever do that. Instead, you know, they, they rip that whole idea. And I would say they do take the meaning because the meaning of, of, you know, that and this is to trust yourself, to trust your instincts. And that's mm. very much reflected in this story. Uh, and then on top of that, as if all that wasn't enough, you also have Han Solo who, you know, um, uh, hangman is ripped straight out of Han Solo. He is a, a combination of Iceman from the first film and Han Solo through a lot of his actions, um, yeah. and, and bravado. And so, yeah, if, and in fact, you, I would say the hangman label itself is a reference, um, Han, Hang, you know, H-A-N. Um, and yeah. And so I would, I would strongly argue that they ripped a lot out of Star Wars. Uh, but I, at the same time, I still agree with you. Uh, I'm totally, I'm fine with it. Like I was actively thinking about it in the film. Like, Oh, I know what they're doing. Even though I wasn't trying to, I was really just sitting trying to enjoy the film, but it was just so overt to me. Uh, and obviously yeah. to you that it was hard to escape it. How,
1: how do you think that they could get away from that? Like, do you think that you would have thought star Wars had it been, had the target been something different or they had to hit it in a different way? You know, is it the target? that then triggers everything else like kind of what I was saying or is
0: it I think you're right I think it is the target instead I you could have borrowed that maybe in another way by putting it on the ocean Um, now the problem with putting it on the ocean is all the visuals change right now you you suddenly don't get to uh, fly through mountains and under bridges and all this other really cool visual uh, stuff uh, which you got to pick your poison and I, I don't disagree with them. Like they picked the best poison. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So I think you're right. I think it is the target and the methodology behind hitting the target, but great artists sometimes steal, like, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and what was funny is looking at the, the screenwriter credits, Christopher McQuarrie seems to be Tom Cruise's guy. Like if you go look up his, his writing credits for the last, 15 years it's all tom cruise i mean 90 percent of it right we're talking valkyrie i i'm assuming that's where they first met or something and then you have jack reacher edge of tomorrow mission impossible the mummy mission impossible top gun maverick mission impossible mission impossible Uh, like it's yeah wow uh it's a lot of tom cruise in there and i feel like at some point tom cruise is like this guy gets it and he gets me Let's yeah. do this. Yeah. And that's awesome. I, I love that actually. I, I think that's really cool. But yeah. And so I don't know. I guess that's the the end of my Star Wars bit. Like yeah. I it's worth noting and thinking about and and asking these questions, I feel like, from a creative standpoint of when are you crossing a line? I don't know that they do, but yeah, I don't know. So yeah. That's that's kind of that's most of the the downers on the new mission. I think there's the fun though. There's the fun side of the mission, um which is will Maverick make it. They've set the impression up from the opening that he's done for, right? We see him almost die at the beginning where he he crashes, he pushes the envelope, crashes the scramjet and we're left to wonder is he okay? and naturally we're assuming yes, but we don't really know. We don't know where they're going to take the story. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, maybe he's hobbled, you know, Um, maybe he can't fly anymore. Maybe his confidence is shaking. None of that, but they, they do point out the future is coming and you're not in it, which doubles down on the whole pilot theme uh, thesis that, that we've been talking about. But then when Maverick is talking about the mission, the first time he sees it, he says, point blank, someone's not coming home from this. And so they're really trying to set the stage for there's going to be a price and it's going to be Maverick. And, of course, it ends up not being the case, but it it makes you wonder several times at the end that are are they going to pass the torch to Rooster? Is Maverick dead? Uh, And, of course, no. But it doesn't feel like, of course, in the moment, like in the moment, you're just like, I don't know what they're about to do. That's a cool feeling.
1: That is a cool feeling because you're right. Like I was expecting someone to die. And I was expecting that because they said a couple of times. Well, they said someone's not coming back from this, and and it just it makes you think that there is going to be a price, yeah, and of someone's life. And so I'm expecting it. Here it comes. Here it comes. Whereas other movies not, don't necessarily do that, and then it happens, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. So they did the opposite yeah. of that. Almost. That's yeah. That's really
0: cool. It's really smart, right? Set the stage, make it make it feel inevitable. Um, and that way you feel much better when it's not. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that. Yeah, absolutely. I also love the there's this nice short little montage voiceover that they do. So they're failing the first phase of the run, right? The whatever the, the trenches, um, the trench run. And then we move into phase two. And He's like, OK, y'all are still screwing that up, but we got to move on. We got a week now. Um, they cut the time down. Right. And so now everything's compressed always something you want to do in an action film is uh, remove the benefit of time there everyone every action film is going to do that We thought we had six months but we got to do it tomorrow right yeah. like it's, yeah. it's every time uh, and it works it creates the the higher stakes and the tension of uh, uh, failure um, yeah. on the horizon and so he moves into phase two and while giving them the details of phase two, right the whole bombing run um, and the high G maneuver, Right. We're intercutting with his voiceover their failed attempts at doing these things that he's saying it's hard. Uh, And I love that it's underscoring the mission's difficulty as he's describing it. And in doing that, right, it's really efficient. That's really strong, efficient storytelling um, because it's. It's doing all the things we were just talking about, which is making it feel like this cannot be done. They're going to fail. Someone's going to die and nuclear war is upon us. Um, Yeah. So really nice use of a montage there uh, for for story efficiency and, you know, maximizing the danger. I've already talked about Rooster. Let's and then uh, there's this great little Easter egg because at the end of the film, they're about to land. There's this very subtle buzz of the tower. And they hit it, but they don't call it out. And I love that it's an Easter egg for fans. Like if you mm-hmm. are familiar with the first film, you know exactly what just happened. Uh, but if you're not, you know it just looks like a thing. You whatever. Like oh yeah, that whatever John Hamm's character is a uh, Admiral Simpson is Simpson. yeah. Uh, he felt that that pass by. Uh, but no, it's it's a it's a very you know strong callback if you know what you're looking at and i loved it because uh, you, you kind of keep waiting for a, a buzz the tower moment yeah um,
1: and, and they could have they could have made it so cheesy like him to request it they just said them to say negative ghostwriter pattern is full and then do it anyway or maybe admiral simpson has a, a cup of coffee in his hand and right. he's drinking and then it spills it all over like no they're not going to do any of that because that's not real right and uh, they just do it
0: i love that point okay absolutely Now, we can get into some of... uh, This is my last segment, I guess. Um, I do think there was some bloat. I do think if... I I knew they were going to probably add 20, 30 minutes beyond what the first film was doing because it's a bigger film. But I I don't think they maximized their runtime. I think the bar scene at the beginning ran way too long. Um, And I thought they threw way too many names at us. At a certain point, call signs could become a bit hokey and so i think the fewer the better like if you don't have you know 10 or in this case there was probably at least 15 maybe as many as 20 call signs that they throw at you it it dilutes the power of a call sign while also making it harder to remember who's who i think if they would have just waved a hand like oh man those are other great pilots you know it didn't have to be Let's name every single person in this bar. Uh, that was a, yeah. And just in general, that bar scene just ran probably six or seven minutes too long to me. Not great. I thought the, uh, I thought I, I'm, this is a love hate kind of thing right here. Cause I loved how they used Iceman overall. I thought, what a smart, I think you said it incredibly well. Like he's the one that progressed. And it makes sense why he also has a strong affinity towards Maverick. Um, he's in a position of power. And what they experienced in the first film totally makes sense to me why he is still feeling it 35 years later. He's still looking after his guy all this time later uh, because of what they experienced in that first film. It it absolutely works. And so I think they used him really, really well. But, and this is my my asterisk. I thought the meeting in person was a really weak scene. That that scene really bugged me uh, because mostly it's just Maverick talking to himself without getting any real new revelation. Uh, they it's just faux growth. Like he never really grows in this film, which I'm generally fine with. I don't think he necessarily needed to, though. I think there's probably some opportunity for it. But the the first film they made him that they, they gave him a crisis of confidence, which is the epicenter of being a pilot is your confidence. You need to be fearless when you're doing that job. And if you're not, you need to go away. (laughs) There's no space in the air for someone who isn't absolutely fearless and confident in their ability to execute. Um, And so it made sense in the first film, give him a crisis of confidence and then force him to choose to uh, regain his confidence. They put that on him because as a pilot, as we, we said in the last episode, like, it is incumbent on you uh, to make those decisions and to live and die by your decisions. And if you can't do that for yourself, no one else can do it for you and and you shouldn't be flying. Um, and so your point that you made when we were talking about it was Viper threw it back onto Maverick. He never said, I think you should, or here's what you should do. He, he, he left it entirely up to Maverick. And in this film uh, they used Iceman as this attempt to kind of, recreate this feeling that he's he's overcoming something and i just never felt that he was overcoming anything it felt like a very weak attempt at reflecting personal growth when that setup was never there um so you can't really have the payoff uh and it just i just didn't think that was a good use of runtime now it was a great use of Iceman to also kill him off so that you can now threaten his position and have all these other revelations right he gets to buck the system prove his merit, uh, and earn his role in the final run. That was all great. Uh, the meeting itself needed to be either reworked or just cut. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh man. I love seeing Val Kilmer and I thought he did a great job. My problem isn't with him. My problem is with no. the writing. Yeah.
1: Oh, I, 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 sorry. I disagree. I, I think the whole, um, him typing every, the, those few lines I thought was really great. And then the whole, uh, the last line he typed, what was it? It was, uh, time to let go mm-hmm. and then just let mav sit with it mav asked him i think two or three other questions and he just didn't answer he just looked at him and and then he had to he had to just decide that it was okay to allow rooster that, that like his whole thing was i want to protect this kid like the, you know the whole time for the last you know 30 years or something and that was why rooster was mad at him in the first place And so I think he knew that Rooster had it in him, but he didn't want to send him. But he, you know, and it was just a and it was also him letting go of flying, of being that guy, which he's held on to for 35 years, which is why he never advanced, because he didn't want to stop flying because he wanted to be that guy. And and he's been running from Penny for however long he'd been running from Penny. Like he hurt her a couple of times and everything because he wanted, he would go off and do these missions or go off and, you know, fly these jets and stuff. So, um,
0: I don't know. I, I bought it. I think that's an incredibly generous interpretation of what happened in that scene. I think, Mm. I think you're doing them a lot of favors. Ooh. I love everything you just said. I I think that's really strong. I think you should have wrote that scene. (laughs) Like. But, again, that's it's, it's minor because, overall, it still didn't hurt me in this uh, movie experience. Uh, the one thing that did kind of sting me was Penny.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that.
0: I hated, terribly misallocated one Jennifer Connelly. Like, you have an all-time great in here, and she's playing this garbage role. Like, I really hated this character because, to me they use her as a reprieve from action sequences which is fine i don't necessarily mind that and then but otherwise what is she really used for to she's used as exposition for us to hear about rooster's papers right the reason rooster hates uh, maverick that's really the only purpose there right i guess if you really want to be like cynical uh, which i kind of am uh, i would say it's also a way to bolster maverick as the man right uh, but one who is maturing, right? He's no longer uh, shirking responsibility and breaking hearts. Uh, he's someone who's ready to to mature and settle down and and be the good guy. It just feels like a really cheap way to use her. I went in expecting her to be somewhere in the academy, um, or either another pilot, either maybe one of his co-pilots, maybe. You could swap Hondo out, his uh, his right-hand man. I don't really know what Hondo's function is as a, uh, a Navy man, but you could swap her out with Hondo and reallocate all those beats into that character or just cut her character entirely and reallocate some of that exposition onto Hondo and flesh his character out and make him uh, and the camaraderie between him and Maverick uh, a bigger storyline uh, while also slimming down the story by, you know, 12, 14 minutes. And, and that way you have a much tighter, more rewatchable film. Top Gun, the first one, is super rewatchable because it's not going to run you two and a half hours. Um, and and they're very efficient. They're hitting all their story beats quickly and you know with a pretty strong right. Uh, here, Penny is really frustrating because I she's just a prop. She's not a real character. Um, and this gets into the idea of a Mary Sue. Now, depending on who you're talking to, what a Mary Sue you know qualifies as is very widely interpreted and I'm using it very loosely here Uh, generally uh, Mary Sue is kind of looked at as a character who's just uh, a woman who has no flaws she's uh, a little too perfect has a little bit too many of the answers um, and they give her these superficial flaws like she's too perfect and she's uh, almost like a Hermione right she's just uh, always on top of it. And you're annoyed at how good she is. Like it's, it's not a real humanistic view of a a person. <laughs> and yeah. Penny largely fits a lot of those definitions. And, you know, she's, she has no flaws. Um, she's a really good mom. Um, and she's only gotten to be a better mom and, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and she just really serves no purpose to the story other than to be a woman for Maverick uh, to win over. Um, And in that way, it's really frustrating that they use Jennifer Connelly in this way. I would much rather her have been either. I I assumed she was going to be a CEO, like his commanding officer or someone upper in that hierarchy and someone for him to wrestle with. uh, Because the nice thing about Charlie in the first film was she could challenge him on her expertise, like she wasn't there to just be run over and whereas Penny in this one is just a cheerleader she's just telling him uh you're maverick and he, here's who you are it's really i don't know frustrating for me as just a fan <laughs> of of this yeah. world and also of Jennifer Connelly uh that she didn't get to have a more powerful meaningful role yeah i don't I would know. agree with
1: you there yeah. i would agree with you
0: there That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's my drawbacks. All that said, um, it's still always good to see her on screen, but this is still a really strong movie. I, I get giddy just watching the trailer still. Like it's, it, it has all the vibes and it's, it's going to be around for a while. I love it because for years, I bet they were begging for a sequel to Top Gun, right? How often in Hollywood do you get an iconic, massive hit that doesn't get a follow-up? Yeah. Like, it's so incredibly rare. And the fact that we didn't get five top guns, I am so grateful for that we didn't see this franchise fall off. And instead, we fast forward and now we get to re-experience Maverick and all his glory and uh, follow the logic of who he is now and why he's progressed the way he is because he's still Maverick he's still the same Maverick, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I meant, obviously I mean that in the not proper noun way, uh, yeah. the, the more adjective and it, yeah, I, I love that they didn't wear this franchise out, although they might now, and there might now be three more sequels to this. I hope not. Yeah. Same. I, I would be okay if they left it here, but if, if not, they have a nice template with uh, Rocky and Creed, right. To, to transition into rooster, um, top guns uh or i wouldn't want plural i would want maybe at the most uh, a couple years from now one uh rooster film mm-hmm. and then and then be out um yeah. <laughs> but i'm okay if they never do another one i i'm i'm totally satisfied with that yeah how do you feel about sequels
1: for this yeah i hope they don't do another one for 30 more years hmm. you know and then they could hearken back to tom cruise or he could be like this old guy or something or whatever i think that's that's great but i don't want to see it for a decade, at least <laughs> nothing else, nothing else. Cause you just can't, uh, I don't know. I, I think one of the other reasons why this worked is because the the technology is different now, mm. right now, the idea of having these planes that can do these crazy things is, I mean, I think that they could do a lot of them back then too in 86, but it's advanced, right. And the way that we've shot, it has advanced into different territory. And I think if you just do it again, it would be very much similar. It would be very similar to this in the next five years. But if you wait another three decades, I'm sure cameras will be different. Shooting styles will be different. um, Angles will be different. Maybe a lot of stuff will be similar, but technology will be different. The planes themselves will be different. And that actually lends itself probably more to the story, you know, than if you were to do it in the next five years. I I don't have any interest to see Miles Teller in a in a sequel as the main character. Um, I I love him in this movie. I think he's freaking amazing. He's an incredible actor. But he is not Tom Cruise in 1986. He is not this character that they gave him is not of of top gun caliber if that makes sense. Like there's no there's not enough arrogance. There's not enough bolstering him his ego that is just you know i'm just not ready for that
0: honestly (laughs) um I, i love that you you brought up miles teller because i'm the same like i loved him in this film i'm not a big miles teller fan uh and what i've i'm i'm finding out about him and how i perceive him is that i hate him whenever he's doing these comedic, lighthearted, schlocky, you know, Vince Vaughn kind of impersonations. And I know he's not doing an an impersonation, but that's just how I perceive it. Whenever he's being this super cocky over the top guy, but I love him when he's doing these super dramatic rooster or uh, whiplash like roles. I think he's incredible, uh, which to me is like the, the gift, right? That those are the kind of films that I would rather watch anyway. And that he excels in those roles uh, says a lot. And so I hope he continues to do much more uh, heavy, dramatic work because you're right. He is incredibly talented. Um, And I love seeing him in these more severe kind of uh, roles, but also love that they cast him at all in this because he's a lot taller than Tom Cruise. He's like five inches taller. And that's not a little like uh, it's, it's pretty rare to see someone like Tom Cruise stationed right next to someone taller than him. Um, And they leaned into it. They were completely fine with it. They didn't hide it. Yeah. And I was really uh, impressed and appreciated it. For one, it it certainly ties into him and Goose, Mm -hmm. Uh, Rooster and Goose, you know, uh, being father, son, taller, taller guys uh, works really well. That
1: scene where he's like mad at him and he's about his dad or whatever, like they showed a side shot as he walks up to him and it is. He towers over Tom Cruise and which is which, you know, I think uh, in our experience of Tom Cruise movies has been like a thing where like he outwardly doesn't like that. like right? He doesn't like it. You know, he, he, he'll wear like platform shoes and, and stuff like that so that he's more eye level with, you know, fellow actors. But in this case, he that's why that's another reason I love Tom Cruise, man. Like it, it's about the story and the character. Yeah. And, you know, he knows so in 1986 he wasn't as big obviously as he is now he didn't have as many films under his belt he was Mm -hmm. huge he was the biggest actor in the world but he you know or close to it but but not really until top gun was he like that and so he didn't he wasn't you know the guy who would say you know what i am not shooting this because goose is six inches taller than me whatever you know he turned into that after top gun yeah but before it, it was just, it was what it was. And Goose is six inches taller than him. And they'll show him walking down the runway and Goose is towering over him. So they do it again. And he just puts all that aside, the last 35 years of his career aside, of being that way to, for the story. For, you know, Miles needs to be six inches taller than me because Goose was. Okay, we're going to do that. And I love that. I think that is awesome. He just like sacrifices for the the film. It's a little sacrifice. Don't give me Yeah, wrong it's, like, not really a sacrifice. It's just maybe an ego ego <laughs> egocentric sacrifice. But yeah. but it was one that I noticed, you know.
0: Yes. I also wanna just call back to what you said at the beginning, which is Tom Cruise. I'm a Tom Cruise fan. Like I don't follow celebrities in their personal lives and so him, whatever, jumping on couches. I know he had a phase where everyone hated him, and I think that's finally kind of circled back and everyone loves, generally, Tom Cruise again. I've always kind of been right there with him, and but what you said earlier was, I hadn't really thought about how true it is that he loves film, and he he gives 100% to every single project he's in, even if it turns out to be a really terrible project, and those happen. Uh, Jack Reacher 2 and uh, Night and Day were God awful films, but also could see he gave everything to those films. And that's the kind of people I want to work with, to be honest. Uh, Someone who no matter what, it's really about the film and they're going to bring their obsession to it. And sometimes that'll annoy you as a creator to have someone that loves what they're doing so much that they won't stop bugging you and trying to make it better that's the best problem in the world to have. Like uh, I've worked with actors like that who, and I don't know if I've ever been that actor. I I can be pretty passive on other people's projects, but maybe I might be that a little bit more, you know, um, in future projects. But I love that about him. Like he, he is obsessive and I want to work with obsessed people um, who just, it's not about anything else other than let's create this and make it the best it can possibly be.
1: Yes, exactly. And, and, there are other actors that are like that, but he has this thing about him. So that you know, Daniel Day Daniel Day Lewis and and uh Christian Bale and you know, where you can just tell they love this and they're <laughs> gonna give a thousand percent no matter what is asked of them. But there's this almost like lightheartedness, it feels like with Tom Cruise. He has the same attitude, but it's 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 different. Maybe he's just not a dick on set and those guys are i don't know you know maybe that's it comes down to just that i have no idea but but you can you can see it you know you can see it and i think also he's done so many action films that it's so known that he does all his own stunts that every time you see it you just can't believe that he's the one that jumped out of that window He's the one who's really running. And I think that there's, and I'll look for it, but there's a, there's videos out there of like the progression of the Tom Cruise run. Oh, that's of, so good. You know what I mean? From he like gets better, better eight, technically. <laughs> yes. From like the, any, and that's a real thing that he has actually worked on over the last 40 years of his career is how do you, how do you run for camera, which is completely different, you know, from actually going for a run outside or something. And, and he has worked on his run. For 40 years, you know, him running in the eighties is different from him running in the 2020s. So, it,
0: uh, stuff like that is just like really, really wonderful when yeah. I see it, you know? anyway. Ditto. Yeah. Nice. Um, well, that's all I got, man. I don't know if you yeah. have final.
1: No, I don't have anything final. I, I really loved it. I, I love your points about the longer scenes, um, and where things could be cut. I do agree about, uh, Penny's role. You know, I, I like, you know, the way I watch movies, I just kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm very passive and I just let it wash <laughs> over me, so I don't always see that stuff. So it's really good to to talk to somebody who like takes notes and and sees the things that I you know would miss. And I, I
0: agree with that. So nice, good call. Yeah. What uh, what are you gonna recommend this week?
1: I'm gonna stick with Tom Cruise and I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend Mission Impossible One, the original. Nice. Uh, it is so good. It
0: really no is. matter
1: how it could be 50 years from now, and that will be a fantastic fucking film and um same with um i mean like almost all of them really are. they're just so good and there's a there was i saw a trailer for a new one coming out next year uh, the next mission impossible in the theater for this movie uh when
0: i saw it so i'm looking forward to that but yeah mission impossible one dude nice 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 call yeah I agree that's my favorite of the of the franchise still mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah yeah, oh, yeah. it's God, it's gorgeous Brian De Palma I love all the Dutch angles and just kind mm-hmm. of the it's so dramatic and so perfect uh, without most of the comedy that it kind of seeped into the the latter films um, yeah, yeah. Um, nicely done I'm gonna keep it simple I'm gonna recommend uh, Italian studies uh, this is a film that uh, I mentioned recently next week (laughs) we were recording out of sequence we recorded next week's episode uh, last week and so this is a beautiful little indie drama completely far away from anything we just talked about Uh, or not it's a it's about a woman who. You kind of just have to experience it because it's, it's a little disorienting at first, uh, but with a purpose because uh, there is disorienting things happening within the story. Uh, but it stars Vanessa Kirby. It's a short film. It has a lot of natural performances um, where you can see that these aren't actors. These are just people. Um, and they put Vanessa Kirby, who is wildly talented and compelling to watch. I feel like when I watch her on screen, I feel the same when I'm watching Denzel. Like they're just compelling to look at as they go through a scene. And I don't know beyond that what it is. Uh, They just command, they have a a presence um, and they just command your attention Um, and they, they chew up and steal scenes left and right. And so putting someone like her who uh, is just on some other, other planet from everyone else and letting her act alongside these non actors uh, is just, fascinating and uh, really engrossing Uh, and it's a really uncomfortable film in in ways that you don't always get to experience uh, because there's nothing graphic or anything about the film it's just seeing what she's doing uh, will make you feel uncomfortable Um, and it's I loved it. It's a, it's a shorty. I want to say it's less than 90 minutes and it's streaming on Hulu at the moment, but wherever I would recommend checking it out. Uh, I love watching her. I, uh, I, I study her along with a handful of other actors. Um, Yeah. So check that out and stay tuned for next week. We are going to look at uh, the final in the trilogy of The Lord of the Rings. We'll be looking at The Return of the King. And I think we'll have a couple of special guests uh, with Joe and Heather Howes. So, yeah, any predictions on if that's going to be a a good episode or not? Oh, yeah.
1: I think uh, (laughs) it's always great to have Joe. But when Heather's on, too, uh, it's just, uh, you know, more bang for the buck for sure. And, you know, they come to it with this just wealth of of years of study and knowledge and and I'm sure that we're going to get a lot of easter eggs and wonderful conversation out of it.
0: Heck yeah. to the yeah. I um, think it'll be a long one. I, I think I I agree. I expect it'll be very long to edit as well. Um, but... <laughs> not that I think any of our episodes are short, <laughs> correct. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, if you're enjoying the show, uh, don't forget subscribe or review us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's iTunes, or or the other streamer streaming apps. <laughs> <laughs> whatever those are. YouTube. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. And uh, leave us a note if there's something you want us to talk about. The kind of things that you find interesting. Um, or if you just want to talk about uh, Mav and Goose and Rooster and all things Fighter Pilots. Um, or Piter Pilots. Or whatever I've been saying. <laughs> <laughs> both. You can, say uh, both. Uh, you can do that at the Pestle Post. Ca- <laughs> Jesus, Wes. The, we're leaving it all in. Y'all are just oh, going to yeah. hear me be messy this week. Good. Uh, <laughs> the dot com slash Top Gun Maverick. And our quote of the day today is from Napoleon Bonaparte: "A leader
1: is a dealer in hope."
0: Hmm.
1: Oh, that's that's interesting. That
0: that makes you think of of Mav. It does, right? Yeah. He, I feel like the the best lesson he actually learned in this film that I. I thought they could have fleshed out more and made it a bigger, bigger lesson a bigger uh, arc for him was the one that came from Admiral Simpson played by John Hamm, which was, I think it was him, right? That, yeah. that pointed out, you've only shown them that they can't do this mission. You haven't yes. shown them that they can. And that was his growth as a teacher. Uh, he was so hell bent on being the best, the best pilot and showing them that they need to learn to get better. And he didn't do a good job of showing them how to be better. And it crushed their spirit and their ability to think this mission is something that we can actually uh, do and get home alive, uh, which was the point that uh, Maverick made at the beginning. Right. Uh, which was and we also need to show them that they can get home alive. Right. And you see the expressions on uh, the, the two officers faces and he's like, we need to show them that they can get home alive. Right. Um, and it's like that's a. That's a salient point when you're when you're trying to you know get people through a mission to also okay. convince them that there is hope. You're not just doing a suicide run here, especially a, a run that maybe I don't know. The the whole point of this mission could be a whole other like topic and podcast about. Oh nu- yeah, nuclear proliferation. I choose to not go in. Yeah, same, into that. same. Yeah. Uh, we we try to avoid those kind of landmines as much as possible. But pun intended. Hope, and I find that interesting because Napoleon was a, an incredible, you know, strategist, um, and for him to you know talk about hope as a, a, a an important leadership quality, even though strategy is ultimately going to be just as important to uh, victory. You know, if you if you can't give your your team hope then why are they going to go into battle in the first place
1: yeah no exactly and and that could be that could be used in battle but it could also be used in just life in general like wh- why get out of bed in the morning why do your job why take the kids to the park right hope is that they're going to have a happy day and maybe that's the extent of it Or maybe it's because they have an experience with you as a parent and, and they look at you with a little bit more awe, maybe at the best, in the best of cases. But the point is, is that, is that there is this little bit of hope that you had, that you should hold on to for whatever it is that you're doing, or at least try to find it. Right. You know, you don't want to just roll out of bed every morning and do what you have to do for no reason at all. Right? There's a purpose for it. What is that purpose? Okay, let's get down to it. Yeah, and I so I think at the, at its core every decision you make is probably based on something like this. It's based on like on hope. So that's a great quote. Good job, man. Nice. Awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, this is, this is a long time coming and so much fun, man. Uh, thank you for the insights you brought. Uh, I think it, it, it was really solid and, uh, now I got to go see it another four or five times <laughs> in the theater. Hope you guys enjoyed this, uh, this episode of Top Gun Maverick. Please, like Wes said, share us with your friends. Make sure to like and subscribe and review us on iTunes and tell us what you'd like to hear us, uh, hear us cover. We'd love to hear from you. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.